listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture reading is from Mark 12. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to the tenants and went away. When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants to collect from them his share of the produce of the vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent another slave to them. This one they beat over the head and insulted. Then he sent another, and that one they killed. And so it was with many others. Some they beat, and others they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? Will he come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others? Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. When they realized that he had told his parable against them, they wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowd. So they left him and went away. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you so much for reading today, Javi. So I feel like Pastor Dan set me up really good um, for today with this parable. He even hinted at that last week. Um, He told us to imagine ourselves not only as the heroes, but also as the bad guys. So Jesus is challenging us still to do that, um, talking to the church people of his day. Um, So remember when Jesus begins telling this parable, he's directly speaking with the Sanhedrin, which is the religious authority. And he was just asked, who gave this authority to you? So instead of a direct response, Jesus responded with a question. And then they still could not answer. So he is responding with this parable. So picturing ourselves as the bad guys, I want to take a moment and think about yourselves as the wicked tenants. Put yourselves in their shoes. You are given a great opportunity to take care of this vineyard. And then, instead of paying what you owe the owner, you continue to beat or kill those that the owner sends. And then you kill his son in order to attempt to gain power so the inheritance can be yours. Remember, with parables, there can be layers of meaning when Jesus told these to his audience. At the first and very basic level, we see something resembling an allegory. Uh, The owner of the vineyard, of course, represents God. The vineyard itself represents Israel, the tenants, the religious leaders, The servants would be the prophets, and the son, of course, is... Oh, come on, I'm waiting for a better church response than that. Who does the son represent? Jesus. Thank you. 
Thank you. These religious leaders would have immediately picked up on the meaning of this parable. It's not very veiled. They knew their scriptures really, really well, and this comes directly from the Old Testament. Uh, they especially would have known the words of the prophet Isaiah. Uh, I'm going to share with you part of Isaiah chapter 5, um, 1 through 7. Really, I'm just going to share 1, 2, and 7. Um, I will sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded rotten grapes. Verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the people of Judah are his cherished garden. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. These Isaiah verses focus us in on the fruitlessness of the vineyard, and 700 years later, Jesus is saying the same thing to these religious leaders, but instead of focusing in on the fruit, he's now focusing us in on the evilness of the tenants. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. He, Jesus, is saying, the fruit is here now. But the religious leaders, they're still using improper authority over the temple and over worship. They're abusing their power and their status. So we're going to read back through Mark 12. And I'll do a little bit of explanation, and then we'll get into the good stuff, right? Then he began speaking to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to the tenants and went away. When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants to collect from them his share of the produce of the vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent another slave to them, this one they beat over the head and insulted. Then he sent another, and that one he killed. And so it was with many others, some they beat, and others they killed. Can you see the justice? Can you see the righteousness? Of course not. You can see how these verses now go back to that same imagery that Isaiah used to warn the Israelites. The major point of both the Mark verses and the Isaiah verses is that throughout history of Israel, the leaders of God's people rejected the prophets God sent, preferring to exercise their authority independently of God's. We don't see that at all today, do we? <laughs> Next, in Mark, we see a shift in the narrative. Verse 6, He had still one other, a beloved son, Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. This is not a normal response to rebellion. Nor is this the expected an, um, action of a wronged property owner. All these servants are dying. I'll send my son. That makes sense. Um, except for with God, it does. This is where grace enters the picture, where Isaiah continues more into... Um, focusing on the doom that's coming upon the Israelites, Mark is shifting this. 
And we're looking at the gospel right here, aren't we? This parable can actually be seen as a complete picture of the gospel of Christ. God made the world, put some people here. They continue to choose their own authority on their own strength, rejecting all the messages that God is sending us. And so he sends his son. If I see chaos in the street, I'm not going to send my small child out there into the midst of it, right? Doesn't make sense, but God, he showed up with absurd charity when he sent Jesus. And we continue, and as we continue through Mark, we're gonna see this charity more and more. All right, continuing on in verse seven and eight. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. Instead of respecting and honoring the owner, the tenants killed the son, somehow expecting to receive his inheritance instead, just like Israel's leaders would continue to reject the messenger. We see Jesus is retelling this vineyard story to them, and they know it's about them. Instead of receiving the grace offered, they wanted to arrest him, and spoiler alert, he's going to be arrested in a couple days. So given this opportunity to change again, they still are choosing the path of power and of authority and evil. Remember, we're reading this right after this same authority is questioning Jesus's authority. Continuing on in verse 9 through 11, verse 9, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. So Jesus is again calling back to a psalm that they would have been very familiar with. This comes directly from Psalm 118. <clears throat> and it was known to be read during Passover, and it was known as a psalm of thanksgiving. It was probably used to celebrate the return from life in Babylon, as well as both to look forward to and celebrate other deliverances. So for Jesus at this point to use this specific psalm now, Jesus is saying that they were going to be delivered again, but this time through Jesus himself. Jesus, this rejected stone, is now the main foundational stone upon which all else rests. Lastly, verse 12 says, when they realized that he had told this parable against them, they wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowd. So they left him and went away. To complete the explanation of the verses, verse 12 shows us that after this exchange, the religious authorities were going to find a way to arrest Jesus. If we were to continue on in this exchange, they actually go and they find other people to send to Jesus to start um, trying to catch him saying something illegal to give them a reason to arrest him. Before I move on to how we can fully apply this to our lives, I want to make sure that you catch one huge point. The reason that they don't arrest him right then is because of the crowd. 
Um, so we know that the crowd eventually does turn on him, but for now they are following him. And the multitude of this crowd was Jewish people. The leaders might not have received him well, but the crowds did. So there might have been some Gentiles in the mix, but remember, it's Passover in Jerusalem. He most certainly was surrounded by Jews. So please, if the only thing that you remember from today's sermon is that when you read texts like this, they're never to be interpreted through an anti-Semitic lens. Jesus is not saying that God no longer loves the Israelites, but he's stating that their authority is going to be stripped from their leadership. They had aligned themselves so much with the powers that be that they could no longer see God's hand at work among them. I would like to invite you this week to go back and read Psalm 118. You can see how much Jesus loved the Jewish people, how much God really loved them, and it's as much as he loves us. He was for them, not against them. All right, so now we get to talk about abuse of power. <laughs> Aren't you guys excited? I will tell you this was a really difficult chunk for me this week. It's been a long, a long week of a lot of amazing things. Um, and so when you have to stop and talk about abuse of power, when you are so excited about all the other stuff, it's real heavy. Um, I was going to tell you a story about how abuse of power and um, authority has been at play in my life. I couldn't really pick one because there's far too many. Um, and I could sit here and spend hours telling you story after story of abuses of power within the church, but also within the country, within the government, within our school districts, within our families. Um, if you don't have many of your own, if you can't pull any, all you need to do is sit down with somebody who looks a little different than you, sit down with a woman who has worked anywhere, really. <laughs> um, you could sit down with a woman in ministry. That's where most of my stories come from and they're not comfortable. Um, you could sit down with any one of our LGBTQ plus siblings. Stories from people of color. You can read the newspaper. You can watch the news. It's everywhere. What are we doing? What can be done? Remember, 700 years before Jesus, God is telling us through Isaiah that he expected justice but saw bloodshed, righteousness but heard a cry. And now he sends Jesus to give him another chance, and 2,000 years later, we are still dealing with the same mistakes. We are still obsessed with gaining power and authority over those in our lives. If we go back to where we started, I want you to put yourselves back into the shoes of these religious leaders. You are in the vineyard. I am in this vineyard. You do not pay what is owed. I do not always pay what's owed. You have killed all the messengers. How many messengers, Lord, have I killed? So what do we do now? 
So I have some questions for you to ponder this week. First, I want you to ask yourself, where is my vineyard? I can't answer this for you, but I'm going to say that we all have a place in which God has put us in authority over something. I'll share a few of my vineyards that God has put me in positions. As a parent, I've been given the opportunity to have authority over my children. As a business owner or a manager in the past, I had the authority over employees. And now as a pastor, God has given me No, he hasn't. This is what I love about American Baptists. I have no authority, so thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, That's one of the reasons why I was so excited to come back to this denomination. Uh, When I began my parenting journey, I was in a much different place than I am in now. At first, I figured that being a dictator within my home was what was required of me. I made sure that everything was done as I wanted it done, that I was in control of each and every possible thing that I could be. I had charts and boards and systems, and when life didn't go my way, I was not very kind to those who tried to take away my control, i.e. the small people that lived inside my house. Um, You can ask my biggest girls. They enjoy telling stories from when they were little. I don't know if I want you to, but you can. I give you permission. Um, I definitely did not earn any Best Mom Awards back in the beginning. And then as a business owner, it was kind of the same thing. Both of these journeys started about the same time. Uh, My girls were not quite two and four when we started a dry cleaners. And guess what? I had charts and lists and systems, and I was in charge. completely upset when things didn't go my way. Did I have some grace with them? Sure. But all the time, no. There were times when I absolutely lost my temper. How hard was it, really, for my employees to just take care of my vineyard? One of the reasons that Gary and I ended up in divorce was my absolute grip on that authority. I didn't share well, and the lack of grace for when mistakes happened occurred regularly. I definitely needed to be tossed out of my marriage for me to learn those mis- from my mistakes and find grace. God expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. There was little justice, and there was little righteousness within me at that point in time. Now, as one of your pastors, I feel like I have come a long way, and I'm grateful that I have had all those experiences before now to learn from. Do I have some control? Of course. But do I try to exert more control than needed? Sometimes, but usually, no. I don't even want that authority the toxic authority that elevates me and decreases those around me, that does not look like Jesus. That is exactly what he's calling on these religious leaders to do. He's asking them to look at their own lives. They have been warned and warned by so many prophets in the 700 years between Isaiah and Jesus yet they continue to align themselves with earthly authorities. They question Jesus' authority because they are fully in Herod's pocket. 
They wanted to remain elevated above the crowd. They wanted to have their power. They wanted to remain in control. And now that's what Jesus is calling us to look at in our own lives 2,000 years later. Justice and righteousness. For many, this is still unseen, unfelt by the marginalized, unfelt by the outcast, unfelt by the outsider. We can't stop and only think individually about this because that's not the way to solve the problem. I cannot do enough or be enough on my own. I cannot bring more justice and more righteousness into the world without you guys. Remember, this church is our collective vineyard that God has put us all in together. This vineyard that God has given us to take care of, I want to make sure that we tend it the best way that we know how. Reading these verses with my own feet in their shoes makes me want to do my absolute best of turning all my authority over to God. Taking time to pray before speaking, pray before action, and especially to seek counsel before making big decisions. These are all steps toward allowing God to be the owner of our vineyard. Collectively, I want us all to show up, to be here for one another, to be willing to listen to stories of those around us, to be willing to stand up and fight for those and with those who might need our help. Which leads us to the next question to ask yourself. What have I not handed to God? What is his that I have kept to myself? Am I trying to take over his vineyard? The sheer number of current events that point to this still being the human condition is overwhelming. Everyone seems to be out for themselves. The amount of mass shootings just has me floored. I'm broken thinking about how much this harkens back to the same idea. God gave us authority, but abuse of authority without turning it over to him leads us to the natural end and self-centered theology and life choices. The authority that others want over my body, over whether or not people should have rights to live their life the way they want, over the desire to own mass killing weapons, I'm utterly distraught at this abuse of power and authority that is still happening today. So instead of holding it all to yourself, where in your vineyard can you start to move towards sharing grace that Jesus shared with you? When we start to really get involved in ministry, which, by the way, is an invitation for all of us, we have to take the opportunity to turn over our time and our talents back to God to share with others. If you're a parent of small ones, maybe it's a small step of learning how to show grace to your littles. If you need resources, I do have some great books to recommend that I had to read through myself. Um, if you have more time on your hands, maybe it's getting involved in prison ministries or becoming part of our outreach team. Maybe you can take time and start contacting your representatives and fight for justice and righteousness at a bigger level. 
There is so much that's broken right now in our country. It can feel overwhelming. But remember in Isaiah, he expected justice. He expected righteousness. 2,700 years later, we are still called to stand with the outcast, to stand with the marginalized, the outsiders, now more than ever. My last question that I want you to ponder this week is how have you removed Jesus from his place of authority in your life? It can be so easy to allow one bad choice to sneak in, to use your authority and power over another incorrectly. It can be so easy to get angry, to blow your top at those around you. It can be so easy to take small steps away from your walk with Jesus and instead start looking out for only yourselves. This is no different than the wicked tenants. I want to remind you, though, that there is hope and there is grace waiting for you. If you're feeling deflated, thinking through all the mistakes you've made, I want you to know that I've made mistakes too, and I will continue to make them. But this is where God shows up. Thank you. Because he extends to us the same grace that he exerted to the wicked tenants and sends his son. We can receive this grace from him over and over again. We know he is expecting justice, but seeing so much bloodshed. We know he is expecting righteousness, but seeing the earth cry out instead. We can be the change that we want to see in the world, and it might start, and it does start individually, but it quickly does move to a community. So yesterday, Jim already shared a little bit um, I think his number is probably closer to what we saw. There had to be at least 200 people that walked through this parking lot. Um, that in and of itself was amazing. Um, I've got some pictures, of course, to show you. Um, I forgot to take pictures at the beginning of the day, so if you guys aren't in a picture, I apologize. <laughs> um, we, are, we all were from different walks of life, different faiths, different journeys, uh, but we were able yesterday to walk in unity, focusing on the fun activities for the kids. Over and over again, I heard thank yous. Thank you for making it free. Thank you for making it accessible for all ages and stages. And just a thank you for being here. I even had a shop owner down the street. She walked down and she said, Elisha, I just had to come down here and see it. Everybody's talking about this. What a cool experience. So she just wandered down just to see what we were doing for the kids. And at the end, she's like, don't worry, I'm gonna send you even more. So we were overwhelmed with so many great um, opportunities to just chat with people. Um, I was able to listen to stories. There were a lot of people who are struggling with health issues um, that came through yesterday. Uh, I talked to some people who are looking for church homes. They shared with me their hurts and things that they've come up against in the past at churches. And guess what? It's all abuse of authority over and over. So many stories 
for a moment, these kids and their adults, they were connected to each other. Even if it was only a few moments, it was so beautiful to see. We live in a very disconnected world. So when you have the opportunity to see people connecting in a real way, you get to see Jesus's hand at work in our community and in people's lives. I'm totally off script. I'm gonna get focused. <sighs> we give you all these opportunities to show up. I work so hard to make these events happen and I don't do it alone, not even close. I have a huge, amazing team of volunteers that show up. I had three or four people just stop by this week and say, what can I take off your plate? How can I help you? And it's not me that they're helping. Guys, we are able to love this community. We don't even have to say the name of Jesus out there. All we have to do is hand out free popcorn and free ices, and it opens conversations in a way that there's not another church in this area that's doing that. That's huge. It's huge. So we give you these opportunities not only to serve them, but guess what? It's increasing my love for this community just by showing up. When we hand over God our time and our energy, we're allowing him to use it in ways that we don't even know what can happen from it. We get to see that our vineyards intersect beautifully. They intertwine with everybody else's vineyards in this community, in this world. If we can take a moment to put our own self-interest down and pick up what God has for us. Because guess what? He expects justice. And he expects righteousness. And we can help at least make a slight difference in somebody's world by showing up. Jesus is calling us to follow him individually, but also collectively. Allowing his authority in our lives, handing over to God the authority and the power that we think we have, that we think we need and want, we can hand it to him. He's going to take good care of it, and that's one way that we can take care of the vineyard that he has blessed us with. If you missed yesterday, I will never shame you. I will never heap any guilt on you. But don't worry, there's always going to be another event that you can come to and serve with. But there's never going to be shame or guilt for me. But there's room. There's room for you to get involved. Um, next weekend is gathering table. Uh, we don't have another. Typically with gathering table, we invite other groups in. Um, Joni and I have talked. We want to make this more something that our church is doing for the community. Um, so there's a lot of ways to get involved next week. Uh, there is a sign-up sheet on the connection set, um, table, or you can just come, share a meal, sit with somebody, um, get to know their story. Guys, the stories that I've heard at Gathering Table is just amazing, and it's happening in our backyard. And then we can show up and help. When we hear those stories, 
it opens that opportunity, the door to being able to be light in their lives. Um, I know that giving time can be hard, but I do know that it's usually worth it. Each and every time I've just not felt like it, God has shown up, and usually in big ways. And I want to challenge you to attempt something different. Partner with us. Being in a place of justice fighters and righteousness bearers, just... I don't even have the words because, again, off script, I need to stick to this. Um, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. (sighs) Lord Jesus, help us all be better keepers of the vineyards that you have blessed us with. Help us to hand over to you what power and authority we have tried to take and keep for ourselves. Help us to restore Jesus' authority in our lives. And help us most of all to accept your grace and share it with everyone we can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.